Yes, sir. There are times when every man of God, whether he is a pastor or an evangelist or a Sunday school teacher or just simply a pulpit supply who stands behind this holy desk and experiences holy fear before God because of the subject matter that God has laid it upon His heart to preach. Something has greatly troubled me for some time. It's possibly even been years that has troubled me. And I believe that in every church, and I do not leave out this church, that this issue desperately needs addressing. I've written several notes on it. I have thought about it keenly. It's been in the forefront of my brain all week long because of the appointment that the pastor gave me to take this great opportunity to stand before you. I've also wrestled with the idea of whether or not I should even approach it. I've tried to talk myself out of approaching it. I don't even know if it is my place to address it. But I can't deny the keen motivation to talk about it, and that pressing issue that churches, including Grace Baptist Church, faces today is our attitude toward attending corporate worship. I wish that I could talk to all the people that should feel the empty spaces in our pews this morning. I am amazed at some of the great lessons that we learn and hear, not only in our Sunday morning Bible studies, but also in our worship services as well. I didn't have time to write on the notes that we covered in this morning's Bible class, but last Sunday, Brother Roger gave us three reasons for listening. And I think that it's appropriate that we consider them right now. Those reasons are, number one, to argue. We listen to somebody else talk just so we can formulate an argument in rebuttal to them. The second reason that we listen is to learn, because the lesson is important enough. And the third reason that we listen is to understand that which we have learned and put it into practicality. During that lesson last Sunday, we discussed the different outcomes or the different potential outcomes between our Lord meeting with Nicodemus, as we can read in John chapter 3, and the, and the average meetings between the Pharisees and Lord Jesus Christ, and this, this Sunday as well as in last Sunday, we looked at that encounter in John chapter 8. John 3, John 8. Look at the difference between the two reactions between the Pharisees. Last Sunday and even this Sunday, I was encouraged that we had a few more in our, in our particular class that I am attending. We had more there this morning than we did last Sunday, so that is an encouragement and a compliment to you. But many still did not hear those lessons from the teacher, nor did they learn the lessons from our other qualified Sunday school teachers 
I know they are qualified because I have sat under their ministries and I've heard them teach. And they are good, godly, theologian, honest men. And many of us didn't hear those lessons either because we weren't here. What is our attitude toward corporate worship? Our attitude toward corporate prayer meetings? And our attitude toward Bible study? I doubt that any of us can really appreciate the angst and the, and the concern of our pastor and our Bible study teachers, and how much time that they spend during the week in preparing for good, quality, godly sermons and Bible lessons, just to turn around and to teach them to great empty swaths of church pews. I don't believe that any one of us can really appreciate that unless we are personally have been in that particular situation. How indifferent are we to the great concerns and the prayers? Can I say tears? That our pastors and teachers and other men and women of our church who really have a, an appreciation for our apathy and indifference over our sporadic attendances, or over the spiritual coldness of our corporate spirit and soul. And honestly, I believe that we need to ponder the great proclamation that our Lord gave to the Laodicean church over in Revelation chapter 3 and in verse number 16. And wonder if maybe our glorified Lord's words to that church actually apply to our church and to me and to you personally. Because our Lord says to that church, Because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. And all of us know what the word spew means. It means more than just to pull up some saliva into your mouth and spit it out. No, something that is spewed is describing projectile vomiting from the stomach, and from the gut. And I believe that God is telling the church today that He's had a gut full of us because of our indifference and our unconcern and our apathy toward the church and toward God. In Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 9, we can read, of the aftermath of Adam and Eve's sin there in the Garden of Eden. And whenever they ate of that forbidden fruit, the Bible says that their eyes were opened. May we plead to God that God will open our eyes to the sin of our apathy and unconcern today toward the church and toward the Lord Jesus Christ. And in verse number 9 of that chapter, God asked out, Adam, where art thou? And for those of folks who have a hard time understanding their reading of the King James Version, Lord God simply asked this question, Adam, where are you? He demanded to know where Adam was. Not because God did not know where Adam was, 
Because God is omnipresent. God is omniscient. God is all-seeing. God knew where Adam was, just like He knows where we are today. God knew where Adam was physically, and He knew where Adam was spiritually. God asked the question, Adam, where are you? Because God wanted Adam to own up to the consequences of his own sins and of his own absence. And in our own worldly contentment, many of us seem to ignore even the Lord's calling. When we're not in Sunday morning's Bible study classes, can we not hear the Lord asking, Where are you? When we're not here on Sunday morning worship service, do we not hear the Lord asking, Where are you? In just a couple of weeks, we will resume our Wednesday night evening services, Bible study, and prayer. Are you going to be here in the presence of the Lord with the rest of us? Or will you be out in the world somewhere listening to the Lord calling out, Where are you? The Lord knows where you are. Like Adam, many times we mask our lack of devotion to the church and to all spiritual things in the same manner that Adam masked his sin with with a fig leaf apron. We attend church often just enough to relieve our guilty consciences or just enough to placate the pastor or just enough to fill in the blank. The world is absolutely full of excuses for our absences and our apathies. And God is just as displeased with us as He was with Adam. Indifference is just as great a sin as eating of the forbidden fruit. Sin is sin. And sin, all sin, regardless of how we think about that particular sin, is still an infinite sin because we sin it against an infinite God. And an infinite sin, regardless of what we think about that sin, demands and deserves an infinite punishment because we sin it against an infinite God. In 2020, the government learned that we were willing to give up our most prized freedom. I mean, we just gave it up. That is our freedom of worship and our freedom of gathering and our freedom of corporate worship. Let me tell you something, church. The government is no friend of Grace Baptist Church. The government is no friend of the true Christian religion and no friend of the true Christian faith. And God may address our apathy and concern in the same way in which He addressed Israel's through the prophet Amos. In Amos chapter 8, here's what the Lord says to Israel through Amos. The end is come upon my people Israel. I will not again pass by them anymore. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. And I remember sitting at home watching our pastor preach to an empty auditorium through the means of the internet, and longed 
longed to come back. I ached for it. I begged for it. How many of us longed to return to the corporate worship as we have the great opportunity and privilege and freedom to do now? I happen to think of David over in Psalm 122 where David says, I was glad when they said unto me, Let us go unto the house of the Lord. I'm going to read unto you Psalm 42. If you're able to, you can go over there with me. I just happened to read this this morning in my morning devotion, and I, I honestly believe that the Lord was in this thing and having me go over there this morning. But I want to read some verses there. I have titled this particular psalm, Psalm 42, as this. As the heart so panteth my soul after God. Verse number 1 reads, As the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God, when I shall come and appear before God. My tears have been my meat day and night, while they continually say unto me, Where is thy God? When I remember these things, I pour out my soul in me. For I had gone with the multitude. I went with them into the house of God with the voice of joy and praise, with the multitude that kept the holy day. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted within me? That word disquieted means with agitated complaints, Toward God and registering them and prayerfully speaking them unto a thrice holy God. Why art thou disquieted in me? Hope thou in God. For I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. Look in verse number 11. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise Him, who is the health, the health of my countenance and my God. That is the attitude that every Christian ought to have when it comes to Sunday morning, when it comes to Wednesday evening, when it comes to any time in which grace Baptist Church has officially established a meeting date and time. That which we use as an excuse for lack of dedicated attendance will one day bite back. You might want to be very careful about the excuse that we use to stay out of Bible study, worship service, and prayer meetings. Because those excuses are dangerous to our spiritual health. And many times those things that are dangerous to our spiritual health also affect us physically and mentally as well. I believe that we've enforced a self-imposed starvation. And I believe that a lot of church members today actually look around and say, Well, you know what? Others get away with it. So why shouldn't I? But moreover, your absences deprives you and it deprives me of the mutual fellowship, encouragement, and edification that God has ordained and designed in corporate worship. By the way, the old adage is true, at least in this particular case, there is strength in numbers. May I ask this question? 
Why are our Sunday morning Bible classes so unimportant to so many folk? I remember last Sunday, Brother Roger may not remember this, but I remember Brother Roger asked, it was almost under his breath, he asked the question, what can we do to get people to come back and restore their attendance? Did you hear God speaking in your ear this morning? Where are you? By the way, God also keeps statistics. And in fact, God is the supreme statistician. God knows all about you. God knows all about me. That's terrifying and comforting at the same time. God also keeps statistics. I want us to go over to Malachi chapter 3. Go to the book of Matthew, then turn back one book in the Old Testament to Malachi. I want you to look at these words and, and read them upon the page, black and white, because I believe that they will actually mean more by doing so. In Malachi chapter 3 and verse number 16, God says this to Israel and also to us as well, through His prophet Malachi. Then they that feared the Lord spake often one to another. I'm wondering if maybe they had corporate worship services every now and then where everybody got together as one body... And they all spoke to one another. And the Lord hearkened and heard it. From the human standpoint, they got together and they spoke about the Lord between themselves. And, and it's almost as if the Lord in heaven says, Hmm, wait a minute. They're talking about me. I think I'll go and listen. That's what we did this morning from 9.30 to 10.30, and that's what we're doing now. Reckon God's not here. Can we not imagine that God is here? Because God hearkened that we've gathered here this morning and talked about Him. And a book of remembrance was written before Him for them that feared the Lord and that thought upon His name. God says, they're remembering me, they're talking about me, they're worshiping me, they're encouraging uh, me, uh, one another. So I'm going to write these things down, and I'm going to reward them for it. By the way, there is a contrast to this because we can go over into Revelation at the great white throne judgment where the Bible says, and the books were opened. But here, this is a blessed book of God keeping track of what you and I are doing here this morning. And they shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts. In that day when I make up my jewels, and I will spare them as a man spareth his own son that serveth him. Our faithfulness, or lack thereof, and the attitude or the lack thereof in our hearts, directly reveals the importance and the reverence and the love and the devotion that we place upon Jehovah, upon Lord Jesus Christ, upon the gospel, and upon the church. Where are you in that respect? May I say this, that even perfect attendance does not measure the depth of your spirituality. But to the rest of us, it's the most obvious. 
I don't know your heart. I leave that to God. But I can tell something about you and you can tell something about me by where we are whenever the church meets. Every one of us need to evaluate the true, real reason we come to worship gatherings. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, go there. Here is another verse that we need to look at and we need to ponder. 2 Corinthians chapter 13. Look in verse 5. God Almighty, through Holy Spirit inspiration unto Paul, is speaking unto the Corinthian church, and ultimately to you and me today. I mean, when the Corinthian church went out of existence, these words didn't die. The Word of God is established forever in heaven. And so let's see what Paul says to Grace Baptist Church. Examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. Prove your own selves. By the way, that word examine means to critically investigate and analyze yourself. Doesn't mean to sugarcoat it. Doesn't mean to put flavoring in it. I mean you take out a surgeon's scalpel and you slice yourself wide open and pour yourself wide open and turn yourself inside out and examine yourselves. Because the day's going to come whenever you and I are going to stand before God and God's going to do it for us. Examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. Prove your own selves. That word prove means to determine the actual depth of your spirituality. Prove your own selves. May I also add this as well? That the words examine and the word prove both are verbs. And they are both present tense verbs. They were in the present tense back when Paul wrote them, just like they are in the present tense right now. They will continue in the present tense tomorrow. They will never become in the past tense, ever. Not only are they present tense verbs, but they are imperative mood verbs. You know what an imperative mood verb is? It is a command. It is something that demands and requires obedience. So as Paul commanded the Corinthian church through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, so too does God command us as well. Prove your own selves. Don't you know that you, how that you, how that Jesus Christ is in you except you be reprobates? Faithful attendance to all scheduled corporate worship is certainly reasonable. Let's go to Romans 12.1. I believe we read this verse in Sunday school. I believe that there was some discussion over it concerning the word reasonable. Faithful attendance to all scheduled corporate worship is certainly reasonable. In Romans chapter 12 and verse number 1, Paul again writes to the Roman church and also to Grace Baptist Church. And here's what he says. I beseech you. That word beseech literally means to emphatically urge. It is almost as if Paul is spiritually getting behind the backs of the Roman church Christians and pushing them to perform and to act in some manner. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. If God is merciful to you, then you ought to do this. That you, by the way, that word ye is always plural in the King James translation. 
that ye, Grace Baptist Church, present your bodies a living sacrifice. In the Old Testament, sacrifices were always killed. They were killed by the priest. They were offered and burnt unto God in holy reverence and worship to God. And isn't it fascinating contrast that now God is telling us to Apostle Paul that we're supposed to do the same thing, only we're supposed to live through it. I mean, we our lives are a living sacrifice, holy. That means separated from the world. That means dedicated solely to God. Acceptable to God. How are we acceptable to God? Well, I can give you one. Study. To show thyself approved unto God. Acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. That word reasonable means rational and logical. I mean, anybody who examines themselves to see whether it's for in the faith, and anybody who, ex- who con- contemplates the mercies of God, and who places himself as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, then they will reasonably do those things. It is a rational, logical service based on spiritual intelligence and wisdom. I like the way that Paul used the word sacrifice. Paul put his own words into my own math. Sacrificing an extra hour on your, of your time on the Lord's day between 9.30 and 10.30, or possibly even another hour on Wednesday night as the church meets, can we not determine that that is a reasonable service? I mean, after all, the Lord gives you, mercifully I might add, the Lord gives you 168 hours every week. And how many of those 168 hours do we squander? I mean, just literally waste. Is it not reasonable for God to ask us to give three hours of our time to come and meet corporately? To worship God, to sing praises, to pray, and to speak to one another so that God will at least have something that He can write in His book of remembrance. Can we gratefully grant to God Almighty just three hours of those 168 hours in exchange for the 33 years that our Lord lived upon this world to give unto you an example in which we should live by? Can we not give three hours in exchange for the three years that Christ taught us His gospel and of His doctrines? Can we not exchange three hours of our time for the six hours that Jesus Christ hung, bled, and died on Calvary's cross? Can we not dedicate three hours of our time a week in exchange for the three days and for the three nights that his body lay entombed? Can we not sacrifice three hours of our time every week in exchange for the seven years of tribulation period from which God has delivered us from? Can we not give unto God three hours of our time every week in exchange for the endless, uninterrupted, infinite hours spent in hell and the lake of fire from which He spares us so mercifully? Can we not give God three hours of our time in exchange for the eternal heavenly bliss which He has redeemed us and has given unto us? Isn't it reasonable to give God The time He so richly deserves and demands. We've replaced our fear of God for worldly, fleshly complacency. 
If you aren't here during 9.30 and 10 o'clock, and if you normally aren't here during our Sunday morning Bible classes, is what you were doing and is where you were, did that profit you more than the profit you would have received had you been here instead? Can we not ask the same question for our Wednesday night services that we will resume here before long? Are you going to profit more by what it is wherever you are, listening to God Almighty calling out, where are you, instead of here? Will that profit you more? In effect, I believe that most of the church today believes that God still winks. Acts 17.30 That God still winks at our self-sufficiency. By the way, our complacency also leads to abandonment. I want us to go to Hebrews chapter 10. Go with me. I want to hear the pages turning. Hebrews chapter 10. I doubt that any of us, I'm going to include me in that, I, I, I am amazed at my own complacency in my heart. Several times this week I've thought about the great luxuries that I personally enjoy in my possessions and, and who and where I am and where my citizenship lays. And I've thought about all of these luxuries and the only thing that they've done to me is just make my heart cold and indifferent on many things. Complacency leads to abandonment. abandonment. In Hebrews chapter 10 and verse number 25, we can read this expression, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner or the custom of some is. Obedient... Attendance has become an inconvenience for most of us. We just don't want to. We just don't want to take make the time and effort to do it. I'll guarantee you, a lot of us will do so tomorrow when we make the time and effort to go to work or to go to whatever it is that we want to do. We need to replace the complacency with corporate exhortation. What do we mean by the word corporate? By, by the church coming together as one body, as we are now. We need to replace, com, replace complacency with corporate exhortation. Look at the next expression in that verse. But exhorting one another. Now I could... Due to time, just give you a real quick explanation of that word exhorting and go on. That word exhorting is a strong word. Let, let's look at this word. The word exhorting translates from the Greek compound verb parakaleo. It combines two Greek words. The first is the Greek preposition para meaning with, beside, or near. The English language derives the word parallel. The second word is the Greek verb kaleo, meaning to emphatically call another to your side due to an important and urgent matter at hand. Kaleo means to call another to side with you in agreement. The English language derives the word call from kaleo. So, literally, when you and I are getting here together in our corporate meetings, we are calling unto one another. Now, because this 
worship service is a little bit more official. It doesn't really lend to a lot of talking and asking of questions and answering of questions. We are still calling to one another. I look at you and you look at me and, and, and we're in harmony, in agreement with one another. People who are sitting at home don't have that great benefit and profit. So whenever the epistle writer says, exhorting one another, we cannot do that if we're forsaking the assembling of ourselves as the manner or the custom or the habit of some is. Can we look at the next expression on why forsaking is so dangerous and for and exhorting is so profitable? What is the urgent and important matter? Because the next expression in that verse says, As ye, plural, as ye see the day approaching. The word the, T-H-E, is a definite article. I like the expression, words mean things. And boy, does this word the mean something. It points out a particular, specific day that is fast approaching, as you see the day approaching. That word the day, or that expression the day, is speaking of the day of the Lord. It also speaks of judgment. God will judge the unsaved at the great white throne judgment, and God's going to judge you and me at the judgment seat of Christ. I looked two verses up this morning, Romans chapter 14, verse 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. And both of them say, we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. I love words. I am not an English major by any stretch of the word. But, words mean things. And whenever the apostle says, we shall, S-H-A-L-L, we shall all stand, that means that event will, guaranteed, it will happen. It will happen. It will happen. It will happen. You and I are individually by ourselves going to stand before God. God Almighty, in the person of Jesus Christ, and give an account. Listen to what Paul says to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Every man shall, every man's works shall be made manifest. That means openly revealed to all to see. Every one of us are going to go up with our proverbial backpack and our knapsack and we're going to go struggling up to the throne where our Lord is sitting at the judgment seat of Christ and we're going to take that thing, open it up, turn it upside down and shake it out. That's that's terrifying. Every man's work shall be made manifest for the day. There's that expression again. For the day shall declare it. Because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. Four times Paul used the expression shall in that verse. And in all four of those, it is a guaranteed occurrence that will happen. There's no getting around it. Listen to James's agreement with Apostle Paul. In James chapter 5, James says, Be ye also patient, persevere, establish, meaning to anchor your soul and spirit with constancy. Anchor, establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. I would imagine that a person's a person's church attendance or lack thereof also speaks 
of the amount of time that that person spends in the privacy of their home or wherever it is in reading and studying and contemplating and thinking about and, and, and praying to God privately, just you and God. Just you and God. Even that thought is most impressive. Just you and God. Doesn't God have more impressing things to do with our world literally falling down around us? No. Just you and God. Attending corporate worship, prayer, and Bible study provides invaluable benefits. By the way, do you know that what you and I are doing here this morning will have eternal consequences? We praise and worship the Lord as one body. In Psalm chapter 30 and verse number 4, the psalmist says, Sing unto the Lord, O ye saints of His, and give thanks at the remembrance of His holiness. God remembers things about you and He writes them down. And God wants you to do the same thing about Him. And one of the best ways to do that is in corporate worship. We enjoy Christian fellowship and learning God's Word preached. In Acts chapter 20, the Bible says, Upon the first day of the week when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them. Every Sunday morning whenever I come to church, I expect to hear a message. And I expect to hear a good one and a godly one. And a true one. And I expect God, through His Word, through our pastor's mouth and lips, to bless me while I'm here. And I can't get that if I'm off somewhere listening to the Lord asking me, Where are you? We demonstrate our love for our brothers and sisters in corporate worship. In Hebrews chapter 10, the writer says, Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works. I can't do that if one of my fellow church members is off somewhere listening to God asking him, Where are you? instead of me extending my love and appreciation and receiving theirs unto me. We mutually strengthen each other in corporate worship. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul writes this to the Thessalonian church. Comfort yourselves together. Together. Comfort yourselves. We can't do that if someone is off somewhere out in the world. Edify one another. That word edify means to build up. It means to encourage. It means to support morally and spiritually. Edify one another even as also you do. During corporate worship, we provide and demonstrate, or I'm sorry, we prove and demonstrate our Christianity. In Acts chapter 2, Luke writes this of the Jerusalem church, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And then lastly, and I'll close. Attending corporate worship, prayer, and Bible study provides this benefit as well. We testify of God's power in our lives. Possibly one of the greatest examples of a bad outcome by somebody not attending a corporate meeting was the Apostle Thomas. Thomas says, well, I don't know what Thomas thought, but let me just put some words in his mouth. Well, the one we call Jesus, he's dead. The Messiah turned out maybe not a Messiah. So here we are. We may as well just disband. I've, I've heard some of the other disciples say that they're going back to the fishing trade. 
And so I'm just not going to attend. I know that they're all up there. They're scared. I can be scared out here. So that's where I am. And so the Lord, during Thomas's absence, showed up. By the way, the Lord's here this morning. The Lord shows up every time we gather. The Lord shows up. He not only shows up, He's here before we do. He not only comes here before we do, we bring Him here. Because He's inside us. And so Thomas says, you know, I hear some of them say that they saw the Lord. I don't believe it, but I'm going to go back anyway. Just, just because curiosity's got the best of me. And so off he goes. And he's meeting with them. And guess what happened? The Lord showed up. Just like the Lord always shows up when His church gets together. He always shows up. Had you rather be out in the world somewhere listening to Jehovah God saying, Where are you? Instead of here, where the Lord is. And the Lord says, unto Thomas, He says, Look at my hands and my feet and thrust your hand into the side. And you know what Thomas said during that worship service? My Lord and my God. Jesus said unto him, Thomas, because you have seen me you and you have believed, blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. I've never seen the Lord. I don't know what the Lord looks like. I've never seen the Lord's hands. I haven't seen His feet. I've never seen His side. But I've seen them by faith. And I see them in you. And you see them in me. And when we get together and whenever we speak of these things and preach of these things and learn of them through our, through our Bible class teachers, we can see the Lord in all of His splendor and in all of His glory just as good and just as much as Apostle John did on the Isle of Patmos. I believe Thomas meant it when he said, My Lord and my God. I believe there was a certain amount of repentance there. I believe that there was a great amount of regret there. That Thomas wasn't there that first time. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. There's going to come a day when the Lord's going to come back. And the Lord is going to gather up every one of His people. He's going to snatch us right out. We used to call it the rapture. He's going to snatch us out. And I'll guarantee there's not a one of us here that, that wants to miss out on that. Well, you know, I'd rather be somewhere else that day. No, you wouldn't. Well, if the Lord's presence is here, and if He is talking to us, and if He's writing a book of remembrance to us, then why don't we gather here? If we want to be with the Lord on that day, why don't we want to be with the Lord on this day? Heavenly Father, 